This show is brought to you by the North Face. Now, the North Face have been my sponsors for the last eight or nine years, and I'm really proud to be involved with this fantastic outdoor brand. Now, they've been in the outdoor industry for over 50 years, and they are the premier supplier of authentic, innovative, and technologically advanced exploration apparel. For your footwear, equipment, accessories, they've got the best stuff. Now, their lightweight and weather-resistant flight series running gear is my absolute favorite. So, if if you're into trail running, if you're into desert running, if you're into just exploring our mountains, then these, this is the go-to gear. And it's designed to endure, engineered to help you through the heat, through heavy downpours, or whatever else comes your way so that you can run no matter what, every day, any weather, any terrain, and never stop exploring. If you'd like to check out their whole range, go to thenorthface.co.nz. <laughs> Welcome, Welcome to Pushing the Limits, the podcast that gets deep into the psyche of extraordinary achievers across all genres, cutting to the chase to unlock the secrets of their success, their achievement, philosophies, and motivations. Join us in the quest to find out what makes the movers and shakers of our world tick and what gems of wisdom we can learn from them. Now, over to your host, Lisa Tamati. Hi, Lisa Tamati here and welcome to Pushing the Limits. Now this week I have got an interview that I did for Wild Things, which is a trail running group in New Zealand, and I was asked, answering a whole lot of questions from people that had sent them in. So I hope you enjoy this, it's especially a good one for runners with lots of advice and a few stories to boot. So enjoy the show. Hi everyone, Lisa Tamati here. Um, fantastic to be on Wild Things and I'm a couple of minutes early but I thought I'd get on a bit early because I'm full of enthusiasm to, to talk to you guys and thank you so much for all the questions. Um, really, really appreciate it. Um, for those of you who don't know me, because I'm, I'm guessing most of you won't, um, I'm, well, I've been an uh, ultramarathon runner for the past uh, oh, 25 years. I sort of uh, semi-retired sort of or temporarily retired about two years ago when my mum had a, an aneurysm, but um, I've had 140 marathons. I've done over 70,000 kilometres around the world, um, and I've had, yeah, lots and lots of highs and lots and lots of lows, of course, and I'm hopefully going to share with you tonight um, a few of my insights, um, a few of my experiences, and answer some of your questions. Um, but before we get underway, it's great to see you uh, already. We've got Jean Andrews, Nikki Haylar, Ange Parker. Ange, lovely to see you. Stephanie Grace, that's uh, very cool to see you guys. Thanks for joining us. Um, I'd like you all to do one thing before we really get uh, underway, and that would be to go and grab a pen and a paper, if that's all right, because I want you to take some notes, perhaps, and get serious, get a bit of education, might as well. Um, and I want you to do me one other favour too. Hi Brad, nice to see you there, thanks for the wave. Um, I'd like you all to go and email me. Um, the links are in the, the, uh, the caption down below. Uh, you can email me at lisa at lisatamati.co.nz and just put in the subject line, wild things, and I'm going to be doing a draw for my jewelry, a piece of my jewelry, um, which I'll let you guys know about afterwards, okay? So if you want to go and do that, Hop over, give me an email, lisa at lisatamati.co.nz, and um, I'll draw that piece of jewelry out over the next few days and let you know who the lucky winner is, okay? So, good. Right. Um, 
so thanks once again for all the, the many questions. Jean Andrews, nice to see you there, mate. Um, it's fantastic. Um, I just wanted to say firstly, Mel Law, you're an absolute legend and I really appreciate the opportunity to come on your platform. I had Mel on my uh, Facebook group uh, a while back and it was a, a sensational um, talk there. So I really, really appreciate that. Um, right, let's get on to some of the questions that, that people have sent in. And I'm going to start with Nolene Best. Okay, so Nolene says, oh my God, I love your podcast. How on earth do you find the time to do everything you do and be successful to boot? Well, successful is relative probably, but anyway, um, I'm one of these people that's totally passionate about a lot of things, you know, and I'm very, very curious. And when I get a, a great idea, I tend to just take action and, and make it happen. Um, I don't always think about the consequences and I don't always think things through. And I often end up with too many things on my plate and then I'm juggling really hard to keep everything sort of going um, and that's how I got into podcasting you know and, and it's been a, a labor of love I'll be honest it's a really hard especially for a non-technical person I'm, I'm certainly um, getting more technically able as I go along um, but the wonderful thing about podcasting and my podcast is called Pushing the Limits by the way and I'd love you all to go and subscribe of course and listen to the show I've had some fantastic people on I've had like Charlie Engel and, and um, Dean Canassis and um, uh, who have I had? Elizabeth Barnes, Naresh Kumar, you know, some amazing runners, obviously, but also scientists, health professionals, um, people that can give you really good insights into a whole lot of areas that uh, we runners would find uh, very interesting indeed. So please go and check that out. So I do love doing my podcast. It does drive me bonkers the amount of time it takes sometimes, and it is a total labor of love. Um, but, you know, it's been fun. So thanks for that, Nolene. Um, Matthew Tyrell, good day, mate. Um, I met you years ago at the start of the Northburn event, but I had no idea who you were, who you were back then. Sorry. How did your association with Northburn begin? Well, I, I have to say that I uh, I was doing a speaking engagement down in Cromwell, and um, that I was just fell in love with the area, and I decided I'd been looking for a place to hold actually a sister race to the Badwater Ultra Marathon. I was talking with uh, Chris Kosman, the director of the Badwater Ultramarathon at that stage, about setting up a sister race in New Zealand. So that was the original goal. Um, and we came across Tom Pickney and his uh, Northburn station. And I approached Tom uh, through Glenn Christensen, who had had me for their speaking engagement, and said, hey, would you run a race over your amazingly huge property that he has there? And he, being an athlete himself, um, and an old coaster coaster and everything, he said, hell yeah, that sounds like a great idea. So then we uh, worked on a course there, and we spent uh, a year getting that prepared, um, marking out the course. Now, I wanted it to be the toughest race in the Southern Hemisphere, and I think it is. Um, if it had been up to Tom, it would have been a whole lot harder. I think he had uh, unrealistic expectations of, of how hard it could actually be. It would have ended up like the Barclay Marathon. Um, I didn't want it to be quite that bad because I wanted people to be able to actually finish it. But what came out of it was a fantastic race. It's been amazing over the last six years. Um, and I've had to actually, I've just sold the race to uh, Terry Davis, who was our wonderful race director all of that time. Um, just because this year I really, um, I, I'm struggling to juggle all my companies and all the, the things that I do and, and something had to give. And um, unfortunately it was Northburn, but I remained very closely tied up with the race and with the guys 
um, and support them fully. And uh, so that was my baby. And I'm now, you know, letting it be free and go on. And I hope a lot of you guys go and do Northburn. It is an amazing race. It's a very, I really wanted to make it a family atmosphere there. I'm not so much into the elite runners. I don't really care about the top end of the field. I'm more about making it an experience, a life-changing experience for people. And that's what I think we've done with Northburn. I, it's, a, it's a proving ground. It's a testing ground. It's certainly one of the toughest uh, races that you can possibly imagine with the weather and the hills. Um, but it's an, an incredible event that really, uh, you know, touches a lot of lives every year. So I've really worked, uh, been enjoying working with Terry Davis and with Tom Pickney on that event. So thanks, Matthew. The next one is, hi, Lisa, from James Harkham here. Would you, what would be your best mindset techniques for keeping going when the going gets tough? And also, when is your next book being released? Uh, firstly, my next book is actually coming out hopefully around Christmas time. Um, but this one's going to be a little bit different. It's not just going to be about running. This one is actually about um, the rehabilitation journey that I've been on with my mum. She had an aneurysm a couple of years ago, or two and a half years ago now, and was left in a, a not much over a vegetative state. She had hardly any higher functions left, massive, massive brain damage. And the doctors sort of said that, you know, she would never do anything again. Um, and to put her in a, in a hospital-level care rest home facility, um, and make her as comfortable as possible and she wouldn't be with us for long. And I just absolutely refuse to believe it. Now, being an ultramarathon runner, we're um, a tough bunch of people and we know, and you guys will know, that the mind and the body is capable of far more than what we think it is. is. And, and that belief and that, that uh, drive that I had to get her back was what was really key in her rehabilitation. At that point, I had to, uh, and this is why you haven't seen me pop up in any races for now two and a half years, is because I've dedicated my entire energy into bringing my mum back from the brink of uh, oblivion, basically. And I've uh, had to learn an awful lot about neuroscience, about hyperbaric oxygen therapy. I opened a clinic, actually, that with, with that here. Um, and I won't go into that in too much detail because it's not about running. But suffice to say that all the mindset stuff, all the toughness, the mental toughness, the emotional resilience, all of that stuff that I'd learned out in the deserts, out in the mountains, out on the trails, out on the roads came to bear. And when people ask you, why the hell are you doing these sort of crazy things? Why are you doing trail running? Why are you doing ultras? Why are you doing this? Just know that the lessons that you're going to be learning out there are so powerful, are so valuable in, in so many other areas of your life. Honestly, I, I run a number of businesses. Um, I do a lot of motivational speaking. Um, and I, in the journey with my mum, all of those lessons that I learned, I can apply in my business. I can apply in my personal life. It gives me the mental resilience and the ability to push and push and push and be absolutely relentless. And in the case with my mum, I had to be. We're talking... 10,000 hours of training to reprogram her brain. We're talking eight-hour programs every day that I had to work out for her, and her comeback has been absolutely amazing. Um, and she's doing things. She's she's even got a driver's license now. She took me 18 months to get her out of the wheelchair. She's now walking. She's now even starting to run 20 meters at a time, but she's running. Um, she was named yesterday as a finalist in the Attitude Awards because um, – her amazing, like the doctors have said, it's a one in a million recovery. So I'm, I'm, um, 
writing her book, and that one will be out at the end of the year. And interwoven in that book would be a lot of my running stories because it'll show some of the learnings that I've had at this story and how I applied it in this real situation, what I did here in this race and how I applied it here. Um, so still one for runners. It's not just about rehabilitation. Next, next question is from Malcolm. Malcolm, now Law, hey Lisa, there are lots of different coaches out there all with their own take or philosophy on training and coaching. What would you say your own approach or philosophy is, both in terms of training yourself and writing plans for others? Okay, so um, I am part of a duo. Um, I run a, a company called Running Hot Coaching alongside my exercise scientist and my coach and my best friend, uh, Neil Wagstaff. And Neil has coached me for the last 10 years, and he saved my career. Back then, um, I came to him uh, when I just returned to New Zealand. I was broken. I was burned out. I was exhausted. He completely revolutionized the way I trained. He cut my mileage in half. He, he did a lot of strength work with me. He got me into mobility training. He changed my diet. He did a whole lot of stuff. And it took me a long time to accept him, his, his way because I fought him every step of the way. But um, what, what happened out of that was the best years of my life and the best performances of my career. And I'm not a, I'm not a runner who's ever had any talent. I've never, ever had any talent. I'm so what from average. I'm, I'm very slow. I don't have a good lung capacity. I'm an asthmatic. I'm, I have a very low VO2 max. I'm certainly no Sage Kennedy or, or a, you know, Killian Dronay or Anton Krupichka or Dinka Nassis. I'm not one of those. I'm a very, very average person. But what, what I did have was a, a really strong mindset and a really strong mentality. And what Neil was able to do was to rebuild my body, rebuild my health. And that is the basis of every good runner is having good health. And what, what we find again and again is that a lot of the runners that, we, that are coming to us are burnt out, broken. They've been doing high-mileage high models for too many years, um, and they're running into problems. So we take a very holistic approach with our run training systems. Um, and it's taken us years to develop it, and we've tested, you know, like thousands of tests on ourselves, on, with, our, with our clients over the years, tried different things, worked things out. And we have uh, the five pillars of training. So we have... Um, Obviously, your run sessions, which include your drills and your technique work, because if you're not running correctly for starters, you know, that's, that's got to be in there. The next thing that we have was daily mobility workouts. We cannot emphasize enough the importance of doing your mobility. From mobility, I mean, so your, your things like yoga, Pilates, stretching, uh, myofascial release work, working with uh, black roll products, ball, you know, balls, foam rollers, all of that sort of stuff. And we are really, really big on that because if you're a mobile functional runner who's got full range of motion in their joints, then you're going to have um, less injuries. You're going to help your muscles recover a lot quicker. And then the third part of that, the third pillar is, of course, strength training. Um, and this is a very controversial one. A lot of people say we don't need strength training. Hill training is strength training. And, and yes, to a certain degree, we hills will give you some strength. But what we see in a lot of runners is back problems, is um, weakness in the core. You know, our upper bodies are often even very flaccid because we're, we're thin, because we're, we, we run all our muscles off, you know. So we have to work. And this is especially true as we age and get older. So each decade that we age, we need to change our approach to, to running. So we have strength workouts that are really run specific. And I won't go into the details. I've got a thousand videos out there on YouTube or on our, 
on our actual training platform where you can find out how to do that and that's part of our system that we, we sell and, and have as our coaching. Um, but suffice to say, then probably the most important area that you need to work on is your core and your hip area so that you strengthen up your hips, your glutes, your core. If you can get those at least working right, then you're on, on a good way to having longevity in the sport. What we don't want to see is, uh, and what we're seeing a lot is, is, is athletes who have been burnt out with high mileage programs. I'm not a proponent of high mileage programs. And that's where I draw a line in the sand and say, I'm not that coach. If you want, uh, you know, to be running upwards of 150 kilometers a week or whatever for your ultra marathon training or whatever, that's not us. That's not us. And the reason we do that is because we can get far more uh, quality training on far less kilometers, okay? And when you build in the other aspects of the training, your mobility, your strength, and all uh, your, your, your um, working on your mindset and all the rest of it, then you're going to need a certain, those hours as well. So we aren't about collecting as many kilometers on your Strava account as possible. And yes, those high mileage models work. They work especially for the 20 to 30-year-old set of elite athletes. They're fine with it, yeah? If you're a 40-year-old or a 50-year-old and you've been running for 20 years or 15 years and you're burned out and you're tired and your adrenal system's not working properly and your hormones are up the whops and you've got three kids and you've got mortgage and you've got a career and you still want to do something massive, then you need to take a new approach. And that's what our approach is. And that's why we attract a lot of um, people in their 30s and their 40s and their 50s who want to do something epic but want to do it without destroying their health. And I have destroyed my health over the years. I've done it all wrong. I've made all the mistakes. And so we can help avoid those pitfalls for our athletes as best as we can. A lot of the time we have a struggle with their psychology because they are programmed to run massive distances and that's all that they want to do. Um, and that doesn't work. It doesn't work over the long term. So if you want to be running when you're 70, you know, that's, that's what I want for my athletes. I don't want them to be broken and burnt out in two years' time and not running. So that's what we do at Running Hot Coaching. We have um, two coaching levels. We have um, the standard program, which is called the Running Start program, and that's 260 US dollars a year. Everything's in US because we train people, hundreds of athletes all around the world, so it's all based in US dollars, I'm afraid. Um, so $260 a year, and that gets you 15 fully periodized training plans from five kilometers up to ultra marathon with your mobility workouts, with your strength workouts, with clean eating plans, with mindset advice, and we've built a huge library of resources over the last three and a half years that Neil and I have been doing this with hundreds of videos and hundreds of workouts, articles, podcasts, you name it, it's all on there. And that's all. Um, and then we have a closed Facebook group where we do um, regular webinars and question and answer sessions and provide constant feedback for people. And then we also have a personalized coaching level, which is a, a little bit more expensive, obviously, because you're working one-on-one -on -one with one of our coaches. Um, <clears throat> I don't do the one-on-ones personally um, I, because we're overseeing, you know, hundreds of athletes. So um, that's why it's just, it's just not possible. But we have handpicked and trained um, a couple of great coaches and um, they work one-on-one -on -one, and then Neil and I provide all the content and we do all the stuff on our Facebook group so we get to answer your questions on there, we talk to you on there and then of course there's always email if necessary. So that's what we do at Running Hot Coaching. We also do health uh, programs so we have a program called Epigenetic Express which uh, we're really excited about. Uh, Neil's just finished his training a few months ago 
um, as a certified PH360 trainer. And this program is put together by hundreds of scientists over the past uh, 20 years. And it, it draws on the disciplines of, of 15 different areas of science. And what it does is it takes all these measurements. You have to fill out a really long questionnaire that takes about an hour, all these body measurements, and it tells us how your genetics are expressing right now for you. Um, so what this does for us as coaches is absolutely amazing because we can tell you exactly what time of the day to train. We can tell you when your hormones are replacing. We can tell you what your sleep patterns would ideally be. We can tell you what foods exactly you should be eating for your body type, for your genetic type. Um, we can tell you what type of exercise you should be doing if you want to be in your optimal for your... We, we can tell you what learning environment you do best in, what social environment, what personality traits. This is an amazing tool and it's so powerful to have this as coaches. Um, and I'll put the link down below if anyone is interested in finding out more about this because the one size fits all approach that has happened for the last, you know, however long fitness has been around for is based on certain body types. Now the whole fitness industry is based on two of the body types and these are the the um, crusaders and the activators, which are two of the epigenetic types. And of course, it means most of the personal trainers that you see or most of the trainers out there are one of these two types. And so for our body type, what we're training will work for us, but it won't necessarily work for other types of people. And so we can, with this tool, we can see what type you are, exactly how you should train. So where for me, I actually work really well with short, high-intensity CrossFit, um, high-intensity workouts, interval training, that sort of thing. Um, and, and so I know that about my body type, and that's where my hormones react best, and that's how my body reacts best. And so actually, I've done 25 years of ultra-endurance running, and it's not to say that I can't do that, but it's actually going against my nature. It's actually going against my natural abilities. And which is fine. I can at least I know, I can know that, and then I can work with it, and I can give my body the different training structures that it needs and the different timings, and it will tell you. Like for example, um, I should not be training early morning. I've always known that I was no good in the morning, and 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 this bore out in, in the epigenetics testing when it came out that my best training is from three until six in the afternoon is my absolute optimal time. Now I don't always get to train in that time because life gets in the way. But that is my optimal time and my muscle contractility is at its best and so on. So it's finding out how your body works. Uh, for example, my husband, should ha he's a diplomat type. He should have three meals a day. He should be having a very slow start to the day. He should also be training in the afternoon. I should be having six meals a day. I'm a very fast burner. I need high intensity. I need challenge. Um, so we're all very different. And this enabled us to personalize it really to you. Um, so that's how that works. Um, so uh, on to the next question. This one's from Katie Baker. Um, what do you find or what do you turn to to keep you going with your training or racing when you're at your lowest ebb, whether due to physical exhaustion near the end of an ultra or emotional exhaustion due to challenges in your personal life? Well, Katie, I've had a life full of massive challenges, <laughs> some self-imposed ones, obviously with the ultramarathon running and the expeditions and the adventure life that I've led, and some um, things thrust upon me like mum's situation. Um, and when I was a young girl, I had no confidence, I had no self-esteem, I was in a, in a very abusive relationship for many years, uh, and my self-esteem was very low. And running 
gave me my confidence back. It rebuilt my entire life. And this is why I'm so passionate about the sport is because without running, I do not believe that I would be here. I suffered major mental health issues, major depression and so on in my young years. Um, I tried to commit suicide a couple of times. I had, you know, I was in a very bad shape for a long time. And running saved my life. And this is why I'm so very passionate about it, you know, being such a way for people to develop not only their for me it's a way of life it's not just a sport it's not just a hobby it's not something I just do on the side this is what I love to teach this is what I love to share the experiences because it really strengthens your mind and it strengthens your character and you learn so much about your your own ability to cope with things and your own limitations and your own your own strengths when you keep pushing your limits in endurance or in, in a sport art. Um, and it doesn't have to be running, but this was it for me. And, and that's why I'm very, very passionate about it. Um, so what I do when I'm, say, in, a, in, a, in an emotional situation, like with mum, there were times when I was in absolute despair. I was broken. I was exhausted. And all the time I would be thinking about the times when I'd been racing and I'd push my body physically to the limit. And I'd be thinking about, well, you're not as tired as that time when. You're not as tired as that time when you ran across the Niger or when you had food poisoning and so-and-so or when you did climb the Himalayas. So you can get up and you can go again. And those are the things. The more you do, the more you have to pull on, if that makes sense. The more experiences you can go back to and say, well, it isn't as bad as that. And that's how I started, actually, my running career. So the very first um, uh, desert crossing that I did was not an ultramarathon. This was an expedition, and it was a four-person expedition across the Libyan desert. Um, the stories of my first book, Running Hot. And um, the boyfriend of five years, the one that was rather abusive and, and put me down for many, many, many years, he uh, broke up with me in the middle of the Libyan desert. Now, we had to uh, walk 250 kilometers and we had no outside help, and we had two liters of water a day, and we had 35 kilo plus backpacks. Um, and I could, I mean, I was 58 kilos at the time. It was almost two thirds of my body weight. And to to walk 45 kilos, uh, you know, kilometers in in 40 degrees plus heat, that was pretty extreme. And I had boots that were too small because my feet swelled, and the blisters were horrific, and the dehydration was horrific. I actually took away permanent kidney damage from it, um, which I'm still dealing with today. Um, and that was my very first desert. And the relationship broke up and I, it was a turning point in my life. And what I turned to later, then two years later when I'd physically recovered and I'd sort of mentally recovered a little bit, um, certainly not properly, I found the Marathon de Sables in a, in a magazine I was reading it one day. And I thought, shit, I reckon I could do that because I'd just done that in the Libyan desert without any support, without nine liters of water a day, without doctors, without any, you know, and, and a narcissistic boyfriend who put me down every five minutes. Um, so I thought, well, shit, this is meant to be one of the toughest races on earth, but I reckon I could do it. So that was my first run. I hadn't even run a marathon at that stage when I went and did the marathon de Sables. But I had spent five years, like, cycling around the world and climbing mountains and trekking and crossing deserts and, you know, I'd done a lot, but I hadn't done any running. So when I went to the marathon de Sables, that was just an eye-opener for me. I was surrounded by the most amazing, because you know what ultramarathon runners are like, oh, amazing people positive who were supportive who told me I was great and I was doing well and and I and I just blossomed and I just grew and that's why I became totally addicted to ultramarathon running because I wanted to repeat that experience again and again and again because yeah the rest is history so um what I do when I'm in my lowest in a in an ultramarathon is I had 
I have to understand my why. Before I go into a race, I have some very deep, dark conversations with myself about why I want to do this event, what it is that's driving me. I have to understand my motivations, yeah? Because if I'm, if I'm going to go and I'm going to push my body to the absolute extreme, I'm going to be in torturous pain, I'm going to be exhausted beyond belief, I'm going to be hurting, you know, I'm going to be risking my life and my health, then I have to understand why the hell I'm doing it. And so this is like a layer, an onion layer. You ask yourself, Katie, why do you want to do this? Who's it for? Are you doing it because you want to be a good role model to somebody, to kids, or I don't know what your reason is. Do you want to prove, for me, in my early years, it was to prove to that boyfriend that I wasn't useless. I wanted to prove that I was not hopeless, like he told me I was a useless runner and I'd never amount to anything, that I had bad genetics and that I was just a hopeless case. And I was desperate to prove him wrong. And it doesn't matter if your, mo your, your motivation is a negative or a positive, the effect was the same. It made me drive myself to absolute oblivion. And, and uh, every time when I was absolutely at my wit's end, I would think about that and that reason why I wanted to do it. And I would go, nah, I'm going to fight on and I'm going to fight on and one more step and one more step. Um, uh, and then there are, there's a few tricks. Um, someone else asked me a similar question to this, uh, the mental tricks that I use. So you have uh, these two sort of cosmic beings, I like to think of them, as in, my, in your head. I mean, I mean this metaphorically, obviously. Um, they can either be the, the angel and the devil or the lion and the snake. I use, use that analogy a lot. And the lion is a very strong, courageous, bold, he's the one that tells you you can do it, that you will have the ability, that you're strong and that you're going to make it. He's that one, yeah? And you've got that voice. And then you have on the other side, there's a voice of the snake. And he's the negative one. He's telling you you're useless and you're never going to match up. And everyone else is better than you. And you're hopeless and you're never going to do it. And he's, he gets stronger and stronger as the race goes on and the exhaustion starts to hit you and the fear comes in and then his voice gets louder and louder. Why don't you just stop? Why don't you just sit down? And so this epic battle I know is going on in my head and the longer I go on for, the more this battle is going on. And so it's, it's understanding that that battle is going to take place and that you've got to feed that line of courage. You've got to have all the answers for that snake. You've got to tell him to F off. You got to you got to sit on them and squash them and say no. I'm not going to. I'm not going to let that doubt in. I'm not going to start bargaining with myself. When I see athletes in ultra marathons and they're starting to say, well, if I can just get to so and so, um, I had in one of my documentaries I was doing a, a documentary for the North Face uh, 100 as it was called then the Ultra Trail Australia, um, and one of the athletes that we were following. He was doing it for his Down syndrome child that he'd had and he wanted to really fight. And he got to the 45K mark and he was exhausted. And he said, oh, if I can just get to the, you know, I've already done an ultra, so I'm already a success. So already in his brain, he'd been bargaining with himself to give himself an out. And I'm not criticizing him. I've done it too. But once you give yourself a, a negotiating point out, I've already achieved more than I've ever achieved, so therefore it's okay. Then you, that's when you start to bargain, if I can just get to there or whatever, then I'll give up, you know. Um, it, so it's noticing when those sorts of behaviours are starting to come in and then starting to fight against them. And, and it's a hell of a battle. I have no easy answers for you. There is no magic zone that you get into that they often talk about. There will be times when you're in the zone 
and you're exhilarated and you're just like, woohoo, I'm, I'm doing it, I'm smashing it, I'm making it, and there'll be times when you just want to die. You just want to sit down on the ground and, and stop and cry. Um, and that's at times when, you know, you also rely on other people. I've had times in, in multi-day stage races or in, in races like La Ultra where I had a crew, where my crew just went above and beyond. One comes to mind with um, uh, the La Ultra, the high, with my team there. They were just 222 kilometres of the two highest passes in the Himalayas. Um, and that was, we were at a point at the second uh, massive pass that we were going up, up Tangling La, and we'd been out there for 40-something hours, and I'd had heat exhaustion in the morning. I now had hypothermia. I'd had a sleep deprivation, obviously, and the altitude was just mind-blowing. I had asthma, and we would have convoys of trucks coming through. Um, excuse me. Convoys of trucks coming through that were just spewing out unfiltered diesel, and... I had at one point like a, just a full-on asthma attack and a panic attack on top of it, and I just thought I couldn't make it. And I was fighting really like step for step. I'm talking 3Ks an hour. I'm not talking running. And by the way, in a lot of ultras, there's a lot of walking. There's a myth out there that we run the entire things. Well, maybe if you're Dean Canassus or someone, but most of us mere mortals have to um, walk parts of it. So I was down to a very slow walk. Very slow, three k's an hour, hundred steps. Take you know your breathing is just you've got about thirty percent of the oxygen up there than you have down here at sea level. So that's not enough oxygen getting to your brain, not enough oxygen getting to your muscles. So everything is slowed down. On top of that, you've been out there for forty something hours and you're absolutely toast. So this one pushed me really hard to the limit, and it got to a point where I was I thought I was two k's from the top of Tangling La Pass, which was in my mind the whole way and then one of my guys Josh came over and he said now nah, Lisa it's six kilometers it's six k's to the top and I thought that's it. I, I can't I can't cope I just fell on the ground in the snowstorm minus degrees freezing cold and absolute exhaustion and I just said that broke down crying I can't do it that's me I'm done I'm done I'm sorry guys and all my crew they gathered around me and they said Oh, Lisa, we're so proud of you. You're just absolutely amazing. We, 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 we're so proud of you. And it's okay. It's okay that you failed. And then one guy came over to me who was in my crew, Chris Ward, amazing guy. And he came over and he sat down in front of me and he shook me. And I could tell he wanted to, you know, slap me, but he didn't, um, being a gentleman. But he shook me and he said, there is no fucking way you're going to fail. Oh, excuse my language. No way you are going to fail now. I'm not going to let you, and I'm going to make you walk up to the top of the pass, and we're going to get you there, and I'm going to stay out here with you every step of the way, and that's what they did. And that's what you need sometimes. You need a mate to come along and pick you up and say, come on, we're going to get to the next point. And they got me up to the top of the pass, and then I managed to finish in 53 hours and five minutes. Bloody long way. <laughs> and I was the second woman to, ever, to, to cross the line there behind Sharon Gator, which was a real honour because she's a, a world champion and an absolute amazing lady who I think was 55 years old at the time and, um, you know, an asthmatic. Um, and, and so age is no barrier. Your sex is no barrier. Your mindset is the only thing that matters. Your, the, your lack of talent, the lack of uh, genetic ability, all of those things don't matter in an ultra, really. The most that matters is can you keep it up? Can you keep it together up there? Can you be tough enough to handle it up there? And, you know, there have been times where I've failed miserably. And those ones where I've failed miserably have usually been because I've gone into a race and I've had some other crap in my head and I haven't been focused on the event. I've had a relationship problems or I've had 
uh, you know, crises going on at home or family problems. And in those times, those are the times where I fail because I haven't had that full on focus on that one goal. And that's okay. It's part of the learning process. Um, so back to some of the questions here before I get carried away. Um, Stephanie Berry. Hi, Lisa. What kind of advice do you give runners who have a chronic ongoing condition that results in slower recovery times and continual pain, but who are determined to continue exercising and working towards ultras, etc.? Well, firstly, Stephanie, I don't know, obviously, your medical background, so I cannot comment, obviously, and I, and I couldn't anyway because I'm not a doctor, on your specific chronic ongoing problems. However, what we are seeing very commonly now, um, a lot of people coming to us who have um, adrenal problems, and there are people out there who don't believe in adrenal exhaustion. I believe in it. I've experienced it. I know there is such a thing. Um, and there are people who are burnt out. There are people who have hormone troubles. There are a number of reasons why you could, should, could be having slower recovery times. What I would suggest is that you, for starters, do the epigenetic program find out what the heck's going on and there's some other tests that we also do blood tests and, and um, cortisol testing and, and that sort of thing here in tissue analysis some of these cost money obviously but if you want to get to the bottom of actually where your body is at so that we can then work out how do we get you healthy and then we can work further on getting you towards your goals if that makes sense and it's doable it just takes a little bit more time and being sensible now I have um, as I mentioned earlier, um, permanent kidney problems. I have problems with my electrolytes because of what I've done to my body. Um, and that is also one of the reasons why you don't see me doing any ultra marathons um, at the moment. I've been working with Gary Moller and working with Neil, obviously, on restoring my health. I had uh, some big health scares last year with um, tumors growing because I was recycling hormones and my kidneys aren't functioning so just understand that sometimes these events they can be fun and games but they can kill you they can cause permanent damage to your body um, so just be very very careful what you're doing do it with experience advice um, get testing done prior get your health in order and this is why we teach holistic training programs because we want health to be the basis of your performance okay it's no use us having a good runner that runs like hell for two years and then is broken and, and burnt out and is never the same again. And that's me. That's me. I've done that. You know, I've done that. It took me longer than two years. But I, I did have burnout. I have had adrenal exhaustion. I have done damage to my body. I do have problems with my electrolytes. I do have problems with my thyroid. Um, I have been unable to have children. Um, there's, there's a whole thing. These are all things that be aware of and take, I'm not saying don't do them. I'm not saying don't take the, the risks. All I'm saying is that prepare for them. Know what you're doing. Get yourself as healthy as you possibly can so when you go and do these challenges that you um, are prepared properly, if that makes sense, Stephanie. So I'd love to talk to you, Stephanie, personally, about what you actually have and what's going on and how we can get you to those ultramarathons because it is epic. It is epic if you can get there. Um, Kerry Suda. Oh, amazing. Uh, so... Another one of the fabulous coaches from New Zealand. Thanks for um, your question, mate. Um, you've been coaching for a while now. What have you done in terms of formal qualifications and how have you developed professionally as a coach? What advice would you give up to other coaches looking to further your education? Well, I've got a sports management degree and I've also got a CrossFit endurance certificate. Um, and I'm also um, studying under Neil, um, my business partner, for level three and four fitness qualifications. 
Um, I'm about to go and do my epigenetics training later on this year. Um, and that is one of the reasons why I teamed up with Neil, because he's an exercise scientist. He has exercise science degrees. He has, um, he's a kites and health practitioner. He's an assessor for Skills Active. He's written the programs for the personal trainers. He has trained hundreds of coaches over the years. Neil knows his shit inside out. And so we make a really formidable team. And we commit to ongoing education um, in various shapes and forms, uh, in different uh, certifications and also just learning, ongoing learning. Um, and for me, you know, it's not just about the certificate on the wall, as good as that always is. Uh, for me, in my life as well as in, in, the, in all my businesses that I do, you know, like I've produced documentaries, I've done, you know, lots of stuff that I didn't have qualifications for. Um, for me, it's about learning on the job as well um, and the fact that I've got 25 years running hundreds and thousands of kilometres and have experienced pretty much every situation there is to experience. Um, and then I have Neil, who has the science background. And so as a team, we are pretty, uh, a pretty formidable team, I think, and we work really, really well together. Um, not to say that we know everything and we are still a work in progress, as every coach should be. Um, and I'm always learning from, from other good coaches all the time. I have a lot of mentors. I have a lot of coaches. I never stop learning. That is my motto. So that's what I do. So I'd love to hear more from you, Kerry, how your um, stuff's going and, and um, see if we can help each other in any way. Um, reach out. Um, so that's what we're doing on that end. And what else have I got here? I've got a couple more questions, and then I'll have to wrap it up, guys. Um, before I go, I did want to give a plug, if you don't mind, to my two books. <laughs> have to do that, of course, um, for those of you who haven't read them. Uh, Running Hot and Running to Extreme. So Running Hot was my, my first book. Uh, sorry, this one. Um, and that sort of chronicles my early life and early adventures. And Running to Extremes has got more running advice in it and the later years um, of expeditions and races that I've done there. Um, as I said, there's a third book coming out soon. Um, I also have a line of jewellery. I've got a few pieces uh, here. And I'm going to, you know, from those people that email me, as I said earlier, if you send me an email, um, I'm going to pull out from all those people who emailed me. And feel free to ask me questions too, of course, on there. Um, someone to win a prize from my jewellery collection. I also wanted to give you guys a 15% discount off anything in my collection. If you use the word inspire, inspire, uh, you get a 15% discount on um, all my jewellery online. And um, I've also got a whole big shop full of mobility products. I've got this great new Solo Strength um, machine that we've just got and become distributors for. So a lot going on. Um, let me see if there's any other questions here. Um, uh, Kirk Bakes. Lisa, whilst you're clearly focusing on coaching and motivation, yep, true, uh, will you be seeing your name on any event lists in the near future in New Zealand or abroad? My pacer for Northburn, mate. Definitely not your pacer for Northburn. <laughs> I'm not stupid enough. I designed that course. I'm not going to do it. Um, good luck with it, though. Um, yeah, for, for the above reasons, um, I'm working eight hours a day with my mum still, and she's my top priority. You know, sometimes in life you've got to prioritise family, and I was a selfish athlete for many, many years, and she is now my number one priority um therefore i cannot dedicate 20 plus hours a week to to doing what i which is what i used to do um i also run well i've just sold two of my companies i've, I've, so I've got three companies still that i run um and i have to do all my work at night so um i work from pretty much from um 
early in the morning to about 10 and on my businesses. Then I work with my mum all day and then I work on my businesses again when I get home. So my husband gets the short end of the stick. And it's not going to be sustainable for too long, but <laughs> it is what it is right now as you get things going. Um, Rob Hannington, training and event running presumably takes up enormous amounts of time in your life. And how does this impact on relationships with partner, friends and family? Well, yeah, I just uh, sort of <laughs> covered that one a little bit, Rob, but um, it has massive implications. Um, I'm very lucky that I have a husband who is amazing. He's amazingly patient. He's amazingly supportive. And I didn't have that earlier in my life. Um, and that was always, you know, problematic. I, although the, the partners that I had were all ultramarathon runners, so they got it um, from that point of view. Um, but it does, it does cause problems uh, when, you, when you're training that long. And it's, it comes at enormous cost to your relationships with friends. You know, you don't have time to go socialising. You don't have time to build up even friendships a lot of the time. Um, my family think and always have thought that I'm completely nuts. Um, my brothers have never had any time for anything that I've done, really. Um, they still think I'm nuts. However, they do recognise now the value of it because I've helped mum, been able to help mum in her situation, and, and, and that's brought us closer together as a family because they can actually understand some of the some of the things and skills that we learn when we're doing this sort of crazy stuff. So it's it's taken up a huge part of my life and there's been massive sacrifices. And when I look back over the years, I sometimes um, wish that I had a bit more fun in my life. I'm turning 50 next month and I'm determined to have a little bit more fun in my life as well as pushing hard on all areas. I mean, everything I do in my personality, I'm extreme. I, I cannot help myself. I'm obsessive. Um, I have an obsessive nature, I have an addictive personality, um, and this is something that comes up in all the interviews that I do with, you know, crazy people like Charlie Ingalls and stuff. There's a lot of ultramarathon runners with addictive personalities and very obsessive natures, um, and actually we can use it to our advantage in the sport and in business and other things, but it's understanding that it will come at a cost for your family and stuff and trying to find that balance, and I wouldn't say I've got that balance right yet, Hence um, why I'm 9.30 at night or whatever, or 9 o'clock at night talking to you guys and not sitting with my husband. But, you know, I love doing it as well. So it's it's a joy. Um, Kieran Phillip, what has been the toughest challenge you've had to overcome in one of the events you've completed either physically or mentally and how did you manage to pull through it? Man, I've got a couple that I could choose from here. One of the worst things I ever had to face was the Trans 333, which is a 333-kilometre non-stop race across Niger, which is one of the poorest and most dangerous countries on earth. Uh, I signed up at this time with my um, then-husband, my ex-husband now, um, and we spent you know a year preparing for this, and we were going to run this together. And then a week before the race, he tells me he wants a divorce. Now, can you imagine that? And you're about to head off to the biggest, scariest, most frightening event that you've ever had, and completely out of the blue, he tells me he wants a divorce. Um, that completely blew me. Like, obviously, I was mentally not in a good place to go, but we had sponsors, we had film crew, we had to go. And when we flew over to Niger, I also had – I'd done Marathon de Sables and the Desert Cup, and all these were fantastically organized safe races, as safe as they can be, yeah? Um, and this was – this was mad. This was run by a French Foreign Legion dude who couldn't give a shit really whether you lived or died. And he was just there to take your money, basically. 
there were meant to there was meant to be food coming from France for us and it didn't arrive. And Niger there is like mass starvation pretty much. There's not much to eat there, right? So we arrive and the food doesn't turn up from France. Now my husband, soon ex-husband to be, um, had prepared properly and he brought everything with him. And he was drinking, you know, protein, or, you know, these shakes and stuff like that. And I thought, well, it's all coming, you know, and I'm a bit more relaxed. <laughs> Go with the flow. And I had no idea what I was heading into either. Um, and I didn't have all my food with me. And, man, I paid the price for that. Um, that's, this was really, really dangerous. I'm very, very lucky to have survived that trip. There were only 17 runners as composed, you know, like the Marathon de Sables and stuff has like 1,500, I think, now. And, um, all the other races that I had in the hundreds at least and this was 17 runners and they of course spread very quickly in a non-stop race so you're pretty much on your own you might get the odd person come by yeah and an hour into the race so we spent three days driving out into the desert towards Timbuktu and then we stopped in the middle of nowhere and um, where there was this marker this where there used to be a tree and that was the start of the race and we had 333 kilometers ahead of us, nonstop. And my husband had said to me, I'm not running with you anymore. I'm running my own race. You're too slow. See you later. And I'd been planning to run with him. So talk about asshole. That was a pretty asshole thing to do to your wife, um, whether you were wanting to divorce her or not. Um, so he, he ran off and left me. And he was a much faster, stronger runner. But we'd planned to run that race together. And so I was completely and utterly unprepared for running it on my own. And I wouldn't have done that if I'd known that's what was going to be happening. Um, an hour into that race, I got food poisoning. So I had this goat curry because that's all we had. And that we'd been eating it and had been attached to the roof of the Land Rover as we drove out into the desert for a couple of days. And um, an hour into the race, I started to get massive you know, diarrhea and vomiting and all that sort of jazz. Um, so now I'm facing 333 kilometers across Niger and I've got a divorce hanging over my head and now I've got food poisoning and I'm dysentery every <laughs> and you've got limited toilet paper. Now that's interesting. Ever wiped your ass with sand? <laughs> Not much fun, I'll tell you. And anyway, already after it was less, I can't remember now, but it was like 25 kilometers, I was already passing out dehydration with dysentery and so on and I was alone. And uh, when the night came and I was, you know, down to a walk and then I was collapsing, I passed out five times and I got myself up and I kept moving forward. And then a wonderful girl came past. Her name uh, was Eleanor and she was from England, um, crazy ultra running chick. And she found me unconscious on the ground and she came and she got the sleeping bag out. She wrapped me in the sleeping bag. She, she got water into me. She woke me up and she, she helped me on back onto my feet. This is a huge sacrifice for someone who's also running a 333k race. She got me back on my feet and she helped me limp into the next checkpoint, which took another few hours, okay? She she held my hand. She I kept passing out. She'd pick me back up and then we'd go again. And then two other guys caught us up and they helped me in. They actually literally put me over their, their shoulders for the last kilometer because I was pretty much unconscious. They got me into the checkpoint one. Checkpoint one. We're talking 33k's into it. Um, from there I spent a few hours with the doctor, doctor that was there and trying to rehydrate and so on and then I went back out again and um, I, I was I, I teamed up with another bloke who'd come into the checkpoint and he also had food poisoning because he had eaten the same thing so there were five of us runners that had food poisoning 
And he and I totaled off together and shitting our way across. I mean, it's so embarrassing. A brand new mate that you've just met from England, this handsome man, and you're having to poo next to each other. There's some glamorous times in ultramarathon running, to tell you. <laughs> anyway, the upshot of all that was I survived till the 222K mark, and then I was bleeding at both ends, and I was um, really, really, really sick, and I, had, I was pulled out of the race. And my husband was winning the race at the time, and um, that, yeah, <laughs> that hurt even more. <laughs> but I was pulled out of the race, and I, and I said, I want to go and see him. They took me up to him in the Land Rover, and he was in dire straits too. And even though he was at the front of the race, he was dehydrated. They'd run out of water. They didn't even have water at this race, you know. It was horrific. Um, so be careful what race you go into. Make sure there's good organization, okay, because this was pretty, pretty damn dangerous. Another couple of things that happened to me on that race was that I had um, – like convoys come through and you're running alone and then a convoy came through a military convoy because they had a it was a war zone because they'd found uh the chinese had found oil they're doing oil exploration in the sahara against the wishes of the local people of corrupt government so they had these military convoys that were protecting the oil and you know this comes thundering past you and you're just running all by yourself there and then i had another time where a truck pulled up next to me and i was all alone and there was 150 uh, Bedouin or Tuareg men or whatever they were up on this truck and uh, it was the salt caravans because it was a salt caravan route you know um, and and they pulled up next to me and they said in French where the hell are you going you know like get up on the truck you're going to die and I said no I'm going to Agadez I'm, it's a race you know in my non-existent French and um, I thought I am in deep shit these guys are going to take me and no one will ever find me, and, and that'll be it. And um, I don't know, you know, they, they, they didn't. They just left me, and I wouldn't get on the truck, and, and eventually they, they, they just took off and left me. They didn't, they didn't do anything to me, and I was just like, man, you've just – that could have gone really bad. That could have really gone bad. Um, so that was probably one of my, one of my worst races. Um, the Libyan Desert would have been another one, and then – um, one of the best races, I think someone asked me, which was my best race. Um, who asked me that? Uh, oh, I can't see it. Someone asked me what my best run was. I would have to say the one in the Himalayas, La Ultra the High, the one at extreme extreme altitude. I never want to do it again. Nearly killed me, but I got there. And that was, that was uh, my, my team were just amazing. Um, I've got a documentary. I'd love you guys to go and check out those documentaries. Once again, the link is in the description below. Um, there's a free membership site with five of my documentaries, including the Niger. Is Niger in there? I've only put some of my docos. There's more to be put up, but I'll get to them. Um, I'm waffling. Hang on. So the last thing I think was, um, so what do you do? Katie Baker asked, what do you do when you're at your wits end, broken in life or a race, pretty much? Um, yeah, so... A couple of tricks for you is, is obviously understanding your why, knowing your motivation. And then in the race itself, I use little tricks like when I was standing at the start line of the run through New Zealand, and I had 2,250 kilometers to go, and I'd spent so much time organizing and preparing that I really hadn't thought about the distance. And I'd never run that sort of a distance. We're talking about 500 kilometers a week. And um, I was standing on the start line with my seven-man support crew and my mum and and I just had a panic attack at the start line and bluffed and thought 
oh shit, I've got to run 2,250 kilometers and it was like an elephant sitting on my chest and I just really couldn't breathe and I had a panic attack and I went over to my mum and I was crying my eyes out and I was like terrified basically because I knew what I had ahead of me was just a bit much. That year I'd also done lots of other races and I was pretty exhausted and I hadn't even started. Um, and I had to run 70 kilometers a day. Um, and my mum said to me, I want you to eat this elephant one bite at a time. I just want you to think about getting out of the start gates. I want you to get to the first power pole. I want you to think about the first half an hour and that's all I want you to think about. Don't think about the 2,250 kilometers ahead of you. Think about that first couple of hours. Think about getting through to lunch. Let's get the crew organized. Let's you know get a rhythm going. And she brought my focus in. Instead of being way out there where I was looking down the barrel of 2,250 kilometers and terrified, she actually brought my focus in and said, no, just concentrate on getting to the next bloody power pole, okay? And that's what I do time and time again. When I'm overwhelmed with pain, when I'm overwhelmed, when I think, if I, 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 I trick myself, I've, if, I can just, if I can just get to the, the, you know, the next kilometer mark, I'm going to do a little bit of a stretch and I'm, and I'm going to give myself 20 seconds. And those little wee things can be enough to get you to that point. And sometimes when you get to that point, you're fine again. You know, you go up and down, up and down, and up and down. And when you think it's all over, it's not necessarily all over. Um, and, and that's one trick. Another trick is that I check in with my body. Like if I'm having really trouble, I start checking in with my running form. I start checking in with my, my body, my digestion, what's happening, my temperature, have I drunk enough? And, and focus, so focusing and concentrating on everything in my body, what's going on. And that sort of stops my mind from going into the panic scenario of I can't cope and I just want to stop and it's, it's too painful. Um, another trick that I use is I go off to my happy place. So this is disassociation. So disassociation is when you are off in Never Never Land and you are in your happy place. You know, for me it might be swimming with the whales and dreaming. I always dream of one day swimming with the whales and so I'm on some tropical island and I'm heading off into the blue water and I'm swimming with the whales and it's beautiful and in my head I'm in a different space or I might be writing my book or planning my business or renovating my house or something that keeps my brain focused or if I've got a fantastic crew they used to come out and I'd say come out and tell me some stories just talk to me tell me jokes do anything I had some <laughs> I was running around uh, Mount Taranaki one stage doing 100 mile around there and I had the coolest crew the funniest boys um, and I had that one guy, Nick, come out, and I was in, you know, desperate state, and I'd been running all night, and I was toast and so on, and wobbling along, and he jumps out in front of me in a G-string and starts running along and showing off, and it was just hilarious, you know, and it was just what I needed to laugh, to get my mind off the pain, and to keep going, and he got me through to the next checkpoint, and hey, you know, that, that's cool, and it was funny. Um, so it's little things like that that really help you. Um, today I met up with my good friend Megan Stewart, who's been my paramedic on at Death Valley um, and also was my crew chief on the run through New Zealand. And she's just come back. One of our athletes, Gregor, from Norway, who had been training for four years, finally qualified for Badwater. That was his ultimate goal. It took us four years to get him there from, from you know, being an overweight smoker who could run from the letterbox to Death Valley in less than four years. It's pretty epic. And I couldn't go because of my mum, so I sent my mate um, Megan and she just told me how epic it was and how broken he was and how times when he, he, he wanted to chuck it in and she kicked his ass back out there. And we all need people to kick our asses and keep ourselves going and keep ourselves motivated. Um, so anyway, guys, thank you so much for your time tonight. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, I know I've waffled on plenty. 
please go and check out some of those links. Please reach out to me if you've got a question, if you've got a challenge, if you want a um, training, of, of course, we'd love to have you come and join us at Running Hot Coaching. You can either join on the uh, standard plans or on the personalized. If you need help with your health, then please come and check out our, our epigenetics program. Um, and anything else, yeah, check out the jewelry, check out the books. We've got lots to sell. <laughs> but we have lots of fun. And thank you very much, guys, for your time tonight. I really appreciate it. See you guys.